0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. I want to welcome you to this episode of A Minute with Coach Riggs. Sorry, I've been kind of missing in action for a little bit. I was under the weather a little bit; my voice wasn't very good. And uh, but I'm I'm all better now and uh, getting getting ready to uh, not only do this episode, but I'm gonna talk briefly at the end about the next episode a little bit. I'm gonna kind of talk today about something I don't talk about a lot, and uh, I'm I'm gonna talk have my say about uh, Alabama basketball, everybody else has commented on it from the national media to the local folks and the folks on AL.com. I avoid talking about such things generally for, for really a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, in most situations like with, with Alabama basketball situation, the murder of this young lady, um, we comment without having all the information a lot of times. and in this case certainly don't have all the information but certainly there's been some that has come out and then the other thing about this is that and the University of Alabama is in this position is that no matter what you say you're going to be wrong in the eyes of some people uh, because someone's going to always find fault with it because either your stance is too hard or too tough or not realistic or your stance is too light or too lenient and so i kind of just avoid talking about this kind of stuff but it the things such as this i had to deal with some as as an athletic director and as a football coach i didn't have to deal with murder but we did have to deal with some other serious things and some that were a little bit less serious that come under the heading of discipline so let me just kind of very quickly review i think most everybody knows the basic facts. So on January 15th of this year, a young lady named uh, Jamea Harris was killed in Tuscaloosa, shot to death. And in the original report, even the police there said that this was a result of what they considered to be a minor altercation. Uh, This young lady was with her boyfriend and they had an altercation with two other men and apparently stemmed around one of the men trying to uh, flirt with the young lady or something and the boyfriend told her, hey, you know, I'm her boyfriend, don't do that. And they had words and um, they split apart. And then later on in the evening, they came back together and they came back together, um, one of the young men had a gun. so. One of the people involved here was a young man named Michael Davis, but the one that concerned everybody was there was another young man named Darius Miles, and he was a University of Alabama basketball player. Uh, he had been injured and was out for the season, but he was still a uh, had played some and was a member of the team. Now, this is always a bad look when you have an athlete like this involved in something as serious as, as murder or what it was rape or, or anything like that for two reasons. Number one, this is a person that, as a general rule, with their own scholarship, you recruited them to come to your school and be a part of your school. And so obviously that's not the kind of people that are going to be involved in something like this that, that you want representing your school. And the second reason I think that this was tough was because it happened down at the Strip. And everybody who's either gone to the University of Alabama or has uh, had children go to the University of Alabama knows where the Strip is. Uh, all the students hang out at the strips the restaurants and the bars and stores and, and everything is. And so because this happened in the area of the Strip down there, I think that was also a concerning thing. It certainly had to be if you had a, uh, one of your children was attending the University of Alabama. Miles was dismissed immediately from the team when the school was informed that he was involved in the shooting, and Davis and Miles were both charged with the shooting and were charged with murder. Uh, I think Davis, uh, we believe that Davis actually did the shooting, but that Miles had been charged as well. So this rocked along for a month. The university did the best thing they could to put the best face on it that they can because there's no good way to do that on the 21st of February, they had a preliminary hearing, and it came out that two more University of Alabama basketball players were at the scene, both of them freshmen. One of them, a young man named Jaden Bradley, who does play some, and the other, Brandon Miller, who is their All-American freshman. I think the other day, he was selected the top freshman in the conference and the most valuable player, essentially, in the conference, the top player in the conference. Apparently, the night started uh, that Miles was in the car with Miller, uh, excuse me, had driven Miles to a club, and Miles got out to go in. Miller decided not to go in because there was too long of a line, and he was going somewhere else. And so Miles apparently had brought a gun with him when he left to get in the, to go to the club. He had left the gun in the back seat of the car. After the first altercation, He sent a text message to Miller asking if he would come back. He left his gun in the back seat, and he needed his gun. And so Miller did that. He came back, and he and Bradley were there. Miles retrieved his gun. Defense, in the preliminary hearing, made a big deal out of the fact, or Miller's representatives made a big deal out of the fact, that Miller never touched the gun. He didn't have anything to do with the gun. Even though he was carrying it around, it was in his vehicle. The shooting took place, the altercation shooting took place. The boyfriend of the young Harris lady returned fire, and then they both kind of split and ran. It was also brought out, in one of the articles I read, that there were shots that hit Miller's car. He was close enough to it, he was right there at the scene. From the beginning, the university said that they were told by the police that Miller and Bradley Although they were at the scene and that Miller had brought the gun, they were considered to be witnesses to what happened and not suspects at any time. And so for that reason, those two uh, continued to play, and the university chose not to talk about it. Now, the University of Alabama, athletic, loves the press, and they hate the press. And, and here's the deal. They have beat writers up there that do nothing but write for the University of Alabama, same thing at Auburn. And so they're constantly putting things out there in the media. So if you go on AL.com and read, they are constantly uh, have articles about players and coaches and the team and what's going on and, and that kind of thing. So they get all this media hype, and they love that stuff. It's great. The problem is... The media is there when things are going good. They're also there when there are problems and issues. And so they write about those as well. And it's part of the give and take that you have with the with the media. Uh, you can't accept all the great publicity you're going to get without knowing that when you have an issue or problem of some kind, that you're also going to have press about that as well. They chose, the University of Alabama chose not to divulge this information at the very Best, they were trying to protect the two young men, particularly uh, Miller Brandon Miller, trying to protect him um, from all the scrutiny that would have happened about the fact that he was involved in this. At the very worst, they were trying to protect their team and their number one seed that they hoped to get in the NCAA tournament. So the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of that. That's what I found out down through the years, that generally uh, that's the that's the truth of things, that it's, it's neither thing, it's out there in the, in the middle somewhere. Now, you, again, you can debate whether well, or not that was a good move by the University of Alabama or not. Some people think it is, but they're not required, just because something occurs, they're not required to go to the press and tell the press everything. Okay, a lot of times we, we get to that point, we think that they're required to do that, but... Um, Uh, They are not. Coach Oates, um, on the day of the preliminary hearing, didn't realize or didn't know what was said at the preliminary hearing because after practice was over, he was immediately questioned about the fact that Miller and Bradley were at the scene. He wasn't prepared to answer the questions. He he actually made a comment that kind of sounded like the fact that you know, he couldn't watch them all the time, that boys will be boys and get into things occasionally. That's not worth what he said, but that was kind of the impression that was left, which was not a good look. It upset the family of the uh, of the victim, and uh, he, he obviously wasn't prepared for that, and I was really surprised by that. Um, you know, I figured that the University of Alabama would have someone in the courtroom who works in their department, somebody in the courtroom, and as soon as they know what was testified to, that the AD, Greg Byrne, would have been informed, and they would have had somebody standing right there at basketball practice, okay, to inform that person who could tell Coach Oates exactly what was said at the preliminary hearing. And I just kind of feel like that ahead of time, they probably should have given him a statement to read because he knew there was going to be questions about, hey, why wasn't this brought out before that he was there? You know, is there, did you consider t- sitting him down and not playing him and that kind of thing? He could at least have read his statement to that, but they didn't handle that. It was just kind of a, a, a bad look. They, they apologized for that. The next day, uh, Greg Byrne, who was AD, spoke to uh, the press and uh, said that there were some details that they even they were not aware of. Now, when you have situations like this, the athletic department and the police really work hand in hand here. Uh, also with the administration of what's going on, whether it's high school, college, whatever, if you've got an athlete who's involved in something like this, you try to work together, and they try to give the the school and the teams as much information as they can because the team wants to know, you know, how how far is this person who's on our team involved in this situation, and so uh, the AD said on the next day, which was on Wednesday, that there were some things they weren't aware of, and he also made a comment that sometimes, if they had questions, they were talking to Brandon Miller's legal representatives. And it also, again, kind of made it look like you know we're not really talking to him about this; we're talking to his lawyers about this. You know, I'm not I'm sure that they they had sit down conversation with Brandon Miller because from the begin with they should have told him. Here's some things you need to say, here's some things you don't need to say out in public, but you need to be careful because you don't want to set, uh, uh, put extra gasoline on the fire by doing or saying, you know, the wrong thing. That night, Alabama played at South Carolina, and because this had come out about Miller, the students at South Carolina got on him heavy that night. And as the game went on, he played one of his best games. He didn't let any of that bother him. He played one of the best games he's played. But at the end of the game, he's kind of responding to the fans who have been getting on him ever since the game started. He was kind of pumping his chest and doing some things. And, again, this wasn't the look that the university wanted. And I don't know if they sat down with him and said, hey, they're going to get on to you now. Here's the way you need to handle this. and And he didn't. Handle it very well. He 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 still responded to him anyway, or they didn't have to sit down with him. But it just kind of helped throw fuel on the fire again uh, that it wasn't a a really good look. And then the following Saturday was the one that kind of got me a little bit because of the fact that he did the thing that he had been doing most of the year, where one of the other players looks like he's frisking him. Okay, like a policeman would frisk somebody. It's hard for me to believe. Nobody knew about that. Nobody knew this was going to happen, that this has been going on the whole year. And they got several assistant coaches on the University of Alabama basketball team. It's just hard for me to believe that one of those guys didn't say to the head coach, hey, coach, you know, he, they do that frisking thing every time, you know, when they announce him. And that's probably not a good thing that we need, he needs to do right now. Just hard for me to believe that they didn't have the coach. After it happened, made a comment that I didn't think was very good. And I, certainly I've made some that weren't very good before. But he basically said he didn't know he was doing that. Now, he'd been doing it all year. He said something about, I was drawing up plays. I don't pay any attention to them when they announce them. Okay. Look, the coach of a basketball team, football team, baseball team, whatever, softball team, wherever you're coaching, you're responsible for your team. You're responsible for all the players, their conduct, everything. It's hard for me to believe that they've been announcing. They've played 30 games. They've been announcing this all year. He's been doing this all year. And the coach doesn't know what they're doing. So I don't know if he's not looking on purpose or what the deal was. I just thought that was strange. And I just thought it was strange that nobody else mentioned this and that they haven't addressed this with Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller's 19 years old. I understand that. But when I was 19 years old, I could have very easily have understood that considering what I had been involved in, this I don't need to do. This is this is going to be a bad deal if I do that. People are going to view this wrong. He's a student at the University of Alabama. He didn't know this might be a problem. Sure he did. You know, the guy that frisked him, he didn't think this might be a problem. I understand entertainment and all that kind of stuff, but that ceased to be entertainment when he was involved in the shooting deal. So, you know, I just really think that was a bad deal. Again, the family uh, commented. uh, They were eating up in the press. I know AL.com and all over the country, they were just eating him up because what it made it look like is that he's making light or fun of the situation. He may not have been doing that, but it certainly gave that look. And so the, the university looked really bad. There and just look like that they haven't taken care of their business and handled this with him as as they should have. Part of the problem that we have today is because the combination of NIL money and a transfer portal to get these top players, coaches are having to I don't know if the term is sell your soul, but they're having to do a little do some things they really don't want to do sometimes to get them. So if you've got one of the top players and top recruits in the country, he's got some kind of NIL deal, which means you're paying him money now, and he's being paid now. There are a lot of 19-year-olds that if they had a considerable amount of money, uh, wouldn't handle things well. So you, you can understand that when they come and they're being paid all this money, they have a feeling of entitlement. And then as he had some success and people bragged on him and so forth, Um, getting even more a sense of entitlement. And for the coaches, it's very difficult for them to uh, provide the kind of discipline that they might like to provide because uh, of the fact that we have the transfer portal and people can transfer. Now, in Brandon Miller's case, he's going to be leaving one way or the other. After a year, he'll be going to the NBA. It's just difficult to provide discipline for players because if you run a tough ship, as we used to say, and you don't play someone or you're hard on whatever, they'll look for somewhere else to go, and they'll tell the other recruits about it. So not only may you lose some players, but there's always they look at it as a possibility that it's going to be much harder to recruit in the future if some of the people that played here and left say that this is not a good place, these folks are too tough on you. They'd much rather go to a place where the coach is going to be more like a friend, be more lenient to them, uh, not uh, not uh, be constantly uh, concerned with them about their conduct, where they're going, what they're doing, and so forth. So it's a tough, tough thing in college athletics now, just trying to handle players in disciplined situations. And you can debate whether Brandon Miller should be playing or not. There's always going to be two sides to it. The first side is going to be that there's no way he should be playing. He's involved in this shooting. He took the gun. There's no way that he should be playing for the University of Alabama. It's an embarrassment to the university. The other end of that deal is he has not, and and they're pretty sure he won't be charged with anything. Because of that reason, he should be playing, and it's fine for him to play, and that he hasn't done anything wrong. And then there are people that are all out there in the middle. So, That debate will continue. And here's one of the hard things for most people. We like to believe that the young people we see, whether it's men's sports or girls' sports, whether it's on Fridays or whether it's on Saturdays with colleges or whatever, we like to think that these people are good people, that they come, they work hard, they do their schoolwork, they do the right things outside, off the team, when other people, when 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 the team's not there. We like to think that they are good people, that they have character, that they stand for the right things. But in reality, that's not always true. There are a lot of athletes, whether high school or college athletes, that do the right things, and they literally, literally represent their teams and their families and so forth. And you have a lot of folks that, don't, that, that weren't taught that from their families. And when they come into your programs a lot of times, they're short on character. Now, there's still a place for those people to participate in your program, but there has to be some discipline lines that they can't cross. And if they are, there has to be consequences, or that's what we always believed. And the same thing goes in college. It's just getting harder and harder. To do that. So just have to understand that we like to think that those people are all good people, but a lot of times that's not necessarily the situation uh, the way it is. The reason for like interscholastic athletics in high school, in my opinion, the original reason was to take some of the aggressive young men, because it was all men when it first started, the aggressive young men, uh, put them with some adults outside of school and allow them to participate in sports and learn some lessons that will benefit them for the future. That was the original reason for it. I was always a believer that the student athletes could really benefit when the school and athletics work together. That we could use sports to help motivate those students academically to, and to help with their conduct in and out of school. In The years that I was coaching, you know, I'll just use the years I was coaching at Miller, uh, there were a lot of discipline type things that happened that uh, were minor things. Up in the classroom, maybe we've got folks not doing their schoolwork, not doing their homework. Uh, they're talking too much in class. They're becoming disturbance in class. Uh, They're being disrespectful of of teacher, something like that. Uh, They caused some kind of issue in the lunchroom or they were rude to somebody else. All those are kind of smaller type things. They're not good. They don't give the look that you would like for your athletic program. Those kind of things, we had methods of handling that. And so one of the ways that we did that, I used to tell teachers all the time, if you have a problem with our players, just write me a note. Just write me a note, tell me what he's doing. And when they would do that, what I would do a lot of times is I would take the note and I would tape it to the player's locker. And when that player came in and walked in and they would see the note and see exactly what the teacher said. And they knew that if there's a note on my locker, Coach Rizzo is gonna call my name after practice and I'm gonna be running. If it was in the off season, then I would set up a time for them to run. They would run after school or sometimes come before school to do this running. And I always reminded them that if this continued, I would add extra running to it. Uh, I loved to run people after practice because I wanted them to – often we would come in and, say, lift weights before practice. Then we would go out and practice for two and a half hours. Then we would condition a lot of days after practice. And I wanted them to have to do their running – after all of that, that makes the running just a little bit harder. They're exhausted. They're tired. They want to go home. Now everybody else is leaving. I gotta stay here and run. And I wanted them to understand that the reason they're running is because of what they did in school. Their their problems in school. And so I would often talk to them about it. You know, uh, they get done. I say, do you, do you remember why you're running? They go, Well, yes, sir. It's okay. Well, you need to cut this out. If this continues, you'll be back here running again. And I'm gonna start adding days. So sometimes. If it continued, the next time I would put him a note on there and I'd put the note on there and I'd write down there, you owe me two days of running. (laughs) So now I've got to do it one day, I've got to do it two days. So that's a lot of the way that that we handle that. Sometimes they get sent to the office and and the school would provide some kind of discipline, whether it was come before school or after school or whenever, to give them a little time for, for this instant, instant, instant. And every time they got in trouble and got sent to the office, they knew they were, were always going to have to run for me. So I just thought that that was a a good way to to do things. And occasionally we would have something where maybe it was an issue in athletics, maybe somebody stole something, or they were caused a problem with another teammate or something. You know, you know, I might just run them for whatever happened. Know athletically like sometimes like we would be practicing and somebody used profanity at practice and so I would after practice I would have that player come and run for me after practice. So those are kind of small things. That way we I tried to handle as much of that as I could with running. Sometimes there are things that happen. Uh, and by the way, uh, occasionally there would be something more serious, fighting or something at school. And they would be suspended. And so when they were suspended. Uh, during school, if this was during the off-season, I would make them whatever we had done workout-wise, they had to make up that they had missed. And then I made them run for every day that they were suspended. So if they were suspended for three days, they had three days of running to do for me. So I wanted them to understand that if you have problems in school, you're going to have problems in athletics. And those things aren't two separate things, that they are tied together. And so I thought that was a, an important way of doing things Make that happen. You'd be surprised where you have young people who have some issues and some um, issues with their conduct and so forth as they get there. And what we found out was because they do want to play, that they would do these things here and take care of some of these little things here. And after a while, it just really wasn't a big problem. Occasionally, if there was something going on that I couldn't seem to get corrected with running, I would suspend them from. From games, I would suspend them, usually I would suspend them from, um, you know, for like sometimes it was maybe a quarter and I would say, you're going to sit out in the first quarter of the game Friday night because of this situation. So I didn't like doing that, but at the end of the day, you got to get their attention and if running wasn't going to get their attention, because some of them had run a bunch and they were tough, that wasn't going to get their attention, usually sitting out of any part of a game would obviously get their attention. It also sends a nice message to the rest of the team and everyone because a lot of times these might be some of our best players, but they have set out the first quarter or they're running after practice or whatever, and I wanted to send a message that you don't get special permission here because you're a good player. Now, there were times when there, something would occur that was more serious when we would have a player and they would be involved in some way on something on the outside with the police, all right? Now, the school generally didn't get involved in that. They were something on the outside where they stole something, the police were involved, something like that. They could still come to school and go to school, and the school didn't get involved in that. But I thought it was the job of athletics to make sure that we, we taught them some of the right things and held them accountable. If you're a member of our team, you don't have to be a member of our team. It's strictly voluntary. But if you volunteer to be a member of our team, there are some things that you're going to need to come in and do. You're going to need to do well. And if you get off the sidewalk, you might say, and start doing some of these other things, we're going to hold you accountable for And so I just really thought that was important. If we had a player who got involved with the police, uh, the first thing, as soon as I found out about it, I would get as much information as I could i would usually, um, I always had a couple of guys at the police department I could call, and they they didn't know. they find out exactly what was – well, sometimes, you know, it was a matter of their questioning some of our players over something they saw or that they – they uh, kind of like this, this other situation in Alabama, they would – might tell me, Coach, we don't think he's involved in anything, but we think he saw this or he knows this or something like that. If that was the case, I would talk to the player about it, make sure that there wasn't anything else to it. Sometimes uh, they may be involved in this, and we're trying to determine what their involvement is, and that's why the police are, are talking what's going on. And there are a couple of things that I learned about this, and that really makes this hard. And one of the first ones was that when you start talking to young people and all about things on the outside, things that... Might be against law. By, by the way, let me just give you some ideas. Here's some of the things that we talked about down through the years. The situations that I got involved a little bit. Everything from breaking and entering. This is things our, our players um, had been uh, accused of or investigated for at different times. Uh, breaking and entering, theft, rape, vandalism, harassment fighting. So we'd seen a pretty good gamut of everything that young people could get into. And I'm not going to get into the drug and alcohol thing today. I'll do another episode on that. That's a that's a whole different ball game. But now we're just talking about other things outside of the the drug and alcohol thing. The one thing that I learned is that everybody lies. Everybody lies. And if I set a player down and start asking him questions about something that occurred, he's either gonna to lie to me or He's gonna misrepresent the truth or something. He's fit to make his version of it, whatever his involvement was, sound as good as it possibly can. And the other thing that I didn't know till I got involved in a lot of this is that everybody else lies for him too. The parents lie for him, their friends lie for him, everybody lies. Everybody lies. And and this was a drug situation one time, but I had a player who got arrested by the police one time, and everybody, all his parents, parents, all his friends, everybody, he was just there, he wasn't doing anything, he's not involved in that, and and they're all saying this. Okay, yeah, he hadn't done anything, and then when I talk to the police, they're like, oh yeah, he's the main one. He's the main one that was involved. So I learned that everybody lies. so even though I'm listening to their side of the story or whatever's going on here, I'll have to verify this. And then I had one rule that really, really helped. And here's the rule that I gave the players, and I told the players this. If you become involved with some kind of incident with the police, as soon as I find out you're involved anyway, I'm going to indefinitely suspend you from the team. I'm going to indefinitely suspend you from the team. And what the reason I started doing that was I found out this that if you suspend people, and let's say this happened during the season. I suspend people from the team. They don't want that. And here's what I tell them. You want back on the team? You're going to need to convince the police that you're not involved in this. And if you convince the police you're not involved, and they come to me and they say, Coach, we don't believe he's involved, I'll put you back on the team. But I'm not putting you back on the team until the police can tell me. Now, I don't have to make the decision anymore. I don't have to decide what you know whether we're going to run you, suspend you, keep you out, whatever whatever I'm going to do. I have to decide all that right now. All I've got to do is indefinitely suspend you and that's your job to get yourself back on the team. And if they can't convince the police that they're not involved, you're going to stay suspended. So people might come to me and say, hey, Bill didn't do this. He was just there. He wasn't involved in any of this. All he has to do is convince the police that he's not involved, I'll put him back on the team. And so that was, a, I thought, a great way to do it because I found out just as soon as you suspended people, people started talking. They started saying, hey, I didn't do this, I wasn't involved in this. You know, before, they'll protect their friends sometimes. But when you suspend them from the team, uh, they're not protecting their friends anymore. You know, they're going to start looking out for themselves. So to me, it was a great way of handling that. I was able to work with the police. Um, they would inform me, and they would come to me occasionally and say, Coach, we don't think he's involved. We think he was just there. I had a situation one time where there was a player was accused of something. He was involved in something fought four or five other people. I think there was only one football player involved. And so as soon as I found out, I told him he was indefinitely suspended from the team. He didn't come to practice. He didn't come to games. He wasn't doing anything. He was a good football player. Um, the police were investigating. And so after about a week and a half, uh law enforcement comes to me and they say, "Look, we've investigated this. We can investigate another two weeks. We don't think we're going to find out anything, so we're not going to charge him with anything. We think there's a possibility he might be involved, but we don't know for sure, but we'll never prove it one way or the other." And they told me he's he's he he's been out here for out of football for a week and a half, nearly two weeks here now he said. If I were you, he said, you let him come back and play anytime you want to. We're fine with that. And so I did that, and I, I brought him back, and uh, we—he uh, uh, basically missed two weeks of the season because of this. He wasn't ever charged with anything; it, it was dropped. And but the thing about indefinitely spending, had I not done that for two weeks, there would have been a debate in Britain for whether or not he ought to be playing or not. If when, and when he wasn't charged at the end, then actually he probably didn't learn anything. He got away with it, got out of it. But in this situation, he missed two football games because of his involvement in this situation. So even though he wasn't charged, he, he was provided with some discipline. And I was able to have a conversation with him about what you need to get involved with and what you don't need to get involved with. And mm-hmm. I think those conversations are just, uh, are just really important. I used to tell our coaches this all the time. I'm going to listen to you when you tell me about players, who needs to be playing, who needs to be starting, who needs to be second string and so forth. But I'm actually going to be the one that decides how much everybody plays. And this is the reason why. Because it is the one power that I have as the head coach. If I don't like what you're involved in, what you're doing, I just play somebody else, and I I can talk to you about that, or I really don't even have to talk to you about it if I don't want to. I can just play somebody else and sit you on the bench over here, and it it makes a a a difference a lot of times while you're doing that. I know we had a situation in another sport many years ago where when the social media stuff first started, you know we had a player came out and said something about a coach that was real negative on social media. Well, all the people on the team know it, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, I was having a discussion with the coach of the team about, you know, how you handle this or what you do because we didn't know it. It was all new with that. I told the coach that if I were the coach, I would not play this athlete. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say why. When I got ready and called out the lineup for the next game or whatever, that person wouldn't be on the lineup. And then after the game, if that, if they want to talk about why they didn't play, I'll have that conversation. If their parents come to me and want to talk about why they didn't play, I'll have that conversation. But as soon as I don't play them, everybody on the teams know why that person's not playing, right? They know. And so a lot of times we can use that, that peer pressure and that other pressure. And, and the, the parent may not have even known about the situation. And they come and say, wanna we'll know why they're not playing. And then that gives the coach the opportunity to say, well, this is what happened on social media. And the parent would say, well, I wasn't aware of that. You might want to keep up with what's going on with it. Or this could be a situation where the player uh, never says anything. The parents don't say anything. They know why that player is not playing. And the coach may never even have to even address it with them. But he sent a message to the team, and he sent a message to this player that he's the one that decides, who plays, and how much, and that even though you're a good player, that it's not guaranteed that you're going to play every game because he has the right player anybody he wants to for any reason, and sometimes people forget that. I think players and parents forget that sometimes, and so to me, and this is the way I looked at it, if you have gotten off the beaten path for some reason, you're involved in something, you're doing something that I believe is detrimental to the team. I'm going to get some of your playing time. And, and I would explain that to people sometimes, that, you know, I will get some of your playing time if you don't straighten this up and do a better job of this. It's a small percentage of cases, but you do have to deal with some of that sometimes. It could be a player just being a problem on a team. Uh, they have a bad attitude. They are uh, – uh, and have gotten into some some kind of altercation with someone else on the team. You know, I had situations before where we had two people who are not happy with each other, basically over a girl. And it's causing a rift. I had a situation one time where I had a quarterback and a receiver and um the receiver went out with the quarterback's girlfriend and now he didn't want to throw throw that receiver the ball. So sometimes you have to it's nice if you can explain to people things, but sometimes you have to go to extremes of pulling playing time from them, if necessary, to get everything straight. I was always a team guy. I thought the team was the most important thing, and, and I, I really tried to insist that everybody feel the same way. So, and then the other issue about dealing with discipline situations in schools, and I've talked about this before, you have to deal with precedent. And um, it doesn't have to be the exact same thing all the time because all situations are different but as a general rule whatever you whatever kind of discipline you provide in a certain situation if that same situation occurs to somebody else or very close to it then the same type of discipline must be involved and um if not that's when you get an issue with parents and they get uh, legal representatives and everything else and threaten to sue you and all kind of things uh, over those situations so you just have to kind of use some good judgment there. But if you have good rules and policies to start with, it, it really helps to be able to do that. And that's why, down through the years, I tried to develop some policies. And I tried to, when when we would have an instant, I tried to take that instant and put it into kind of one of these pods right here. You know, this falls under this, this falls under that. And so I will do an episode at some point in time about drug and alcohol uh, things. Um, Because that was kind of a different category and I had to kind of handle those things differently. You had to have some, uh, what you were trying to do from a a standpoint of what you were trying to achieve as you dealt with drug and alcohol stuff. Because obviously you were trying to achieve uh, getting them uninvolved in that. But uh, we also realized that wasn't necessarily going to happen all the time. So it's kind of a a different animal. And so our next episode will be the top 10 T.R. Miller football teams of all time. And as uh, our, our previous episode, when David and I discussed this, the committee has been at work and it has been a more difficult procedure than we thought. And uh, the, the committee, I know we heard from, from from several people, gave their opinions on the teams that like a lot of them they played on. or Some of them gave their opinions on, on several different teams. And there were a lot of issues and a lot of things involved. And the committee was trying to be fair to everybody from, from 19, really 1926 through 2022. That's 97 years of Miller football. And it became a harder thing than we thought, just because there are so many good teams uh, involved. And, you know, this wasn't an incident where you, you're, you're trying to pick 10, And there were 15 who could have been in the top 10. We got a lot more than that that could have been in the top 10 at T.R. Miller. So it has been a very, very difficult thing. But hopefully we're going to start putting that show together and get that episode going. And hopefully we'll be able to um, not only uh, present the top 10, but maybe hear from a person or two that was involved in some of those teams and talk about that. So we look forward to the uh, next episode of the top 10. T.R. Miller football teams of all time. So thanks for listening in. We look forward to the next one. This has been A Minute with Coach Riggs.